to the tape deck, your regular dose of music appreciation brought to you from the open casket funeral, Seattle, Washington. My name is Rob Mora. Joining me today is Dylan Hanwright, a member of local Seattle band's great grandpa and Apples with Moya. Dylan, welcome. Hey Rob, how's it going? I'm doing good. Thank you. How's your day been? It's been good. It's been pretty lazy. It's my weekend. That's ideal. What's today, Friday? Today's Friday. A lazy Friday is pretty ideal. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. How's your day been? It's been work. It's been yeah. work as usual. I had a full shift. That's the life. What have you been listening to lately? So, oh man, I keep forgetting the name of it, so I have to look at it right now. Yeah. But I listened to the Phoebe Bridgers, Connor Oberst. Phoebe. Yeah. Is it Bridgers or is it Bridges? Bridgers. Bridgers. Yeah, there's an Phoebe R in there. Bridgers. Yeah. I heard that they came out, what's it called? It's like something named after a community center? Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's great. I... Better Oblivion, Better Oblivion Community, Community Center. Center. Okay, how was it? Yeah. It's really great. Yeah, yeah. It's way different than uh, than a lot of stuff you'd expect from like yeah. either of them. Because when I I hear Phoebe Bridgers or Connor Oberst, I'm imagining a specific sound, like something kind of maybe slow and folky and right. They I was like reading an interview and they said something about um, you know, of course there are going to be a few. Uh, you know, folk duet yeah. like love songs, but they were like, we tried to kind of get away from that and do some different stuff. So right, right. There's some like cool sample based like okay. dream poppy kind of stuff on there. Sweet. Um, Sounds down yeah. my avenue. It was it was good to like listen to Connor Oberst after a while and be like, <laughs> yeah, I like this. <laughs> it's it's been very true. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been a little unenthusiastic about his most recent input. So. Totally, yeah, and I've always liked Phoebe's stuff, so yeah, very cool record. That's true. She's sort of on the out. forefront of that movement right now, right? She like, is. She's a huge indie uh, artist at the like, moment. She's busy. Like she's busy. Yeah, so did, many collaborations. Did you listen to the Boy Genius EP? I haven't. Oh, it's I haven't lovely, it. um, and it's great because it's called Boy Genius, but if you try to search it on Spotify, it's named under all three artists. Right. So, like, it's just, it feels like a super group, but it, they don't call themselves anything. Right. Like, totally. technically they call themselves Boy Genius, but they just sort of name themselves after the, the EP. Yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah. It's a, it's a smart play because it links it all to each individual artist on the streaming right. service. But, yeah. But it's great. It's, like, really nice, um, low, overcast, like, pretty solid indie rock. Cool. You know? yeah. yeah, I've been meaning to check it out. I would totally recommend it, yeah. I personally have been getting into... I listened to almost the entirety of Husker Du's uh, discography today when I was <laughs> at the gym. Yeah, because it's so easy to get through. Like, yeah, what is speed it? Record. Like an hour? Yeah. The whole yeah. <laughs> Zen Arcade is like an hour and it takes up maybe 40% of the discography. Oh, Everything wow. else is just so fucking fast. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Yeah. Any, uh, any, like, you know, newfound insight from that latest? Honestly... I had really only listened to Zen Arcade, and that was like a year and a half ago, back when I lived in Renton. Um, listening from the ground up, uh, well, first of all, it's marvelous. It's all worth checking out. Like pretty much everything that Husker Du has released has been considered a classic in one form or another, and I can see why. You know, yeah. uh, Land Speed Record is just fast rock, and it's it was recorded live at a show uh, when they got back to Minneapolis after their first tour, and. Uh, they just play fast. They play loud. There's some hints of melody, but it's just very powerful to listen to that that yeah, kind of music and seeing totally. like a movement forming from there. Yeah. And then uh, 
Metal Circus EP is also worth checking out. That was the EP they released before Zen Arcade when they were starting to get a little more melodic. Cool. Yeah, they're a great band. Right on. Yeah, I haven't. That's another band I haven't dove into yeah. very far, but yeah, uh, you know, I should for historical's sake. <laughs> it's good. Absolutely. Yeah. There's actually a lot of bands from that era um, that are worth checking out. You know, uh, it's funny. I've been doing that because I've been reading Michael Zarid's, uh document of the birth of the american uh indie underground movement in the mid 80s called our band could be your life yeah have you read that a lot about that book no i've um cam read it and a couple other friends of mine read it so i've heard a lot about it it's great it's really worth a read it's really long um i think you can pick it up on the itunes store for like 12 dollars i think or some other yeah the ebook's pretty cheap and uh essentially what is he he chronicles I haven't gotten through the whole book, but I imagine he goes through maybe 13 or 14 bands that were getting popular. Like, he starts with Black Flag, which is basically, like, the origin of all of it. Like, right. Because they were the ones that founded SST Records, and and uh, they were the ones that sort of started hardcore as a movement in the late 70s, like, into the early 80s. And then from there, he sort of starts piling on all these different bands with all these different sounds, you know? Yeah. Like... Um, I'm reading about Husker Du, which compelled me to listen to all these albums, and they were sort of a, a result of Black Flag, you know, tooting them, and then there was a chapter about the Minutemen before that, and Husker Du was brought out because the Minutemen's uh, seminal album, Double Dickles on the Dime, was actually the reason why Husker Du's Zen Arcade was delayed because they wanted to release them at the same time. So it's like, they all just sort of factor into each other. They're all like different players in one big grandiose story. Huh. It's totally worth listening to. Yeah. One of the biggest things that uh, I realized reading this book is that it's talking about the birth of what would soon be known as like DIY punk or like a DIY rock, you know, which is... It's one of those things that I think gets taken for granted a little bit today, considering that it's so easy to do your own DIY stuff nowadays. Sure. Like, recording technology has improved immensely since that stuff was around, you know. But DIY started a little bit. um, It was sort of an ethos and a necessity and a sound all rolled up into one. And you could have your, your own different mission for why you wanted to be a DIY band, but... It was, when it started, sort of a rejection of a lot of what was considered commercial rock at the times. Like, the biggest culpable bands were like Boston and Foreigner and Aerosmith and everything that was at that point considered classic rock. Right. Even though it was relatively current at the time, you know? So, bands back then were talking about starting their own movements, you know, uh, playing the sounds that they felt wouldn't be commercial, but they didn't care anyway because, you know... That was the sounds they wanted to make, you right. know? How do you personally feel that that reflects nowadays, you know? Like, we talk about the DIY scene nowadays. All these cities have all these different scenes. And what do you think has stayed the same, and what do you think has changed since back then? Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think it's an entirely different world than it was then. And, it's know, true. the reasons people get involved with DIY have changed quite a bit. But the thing that's sort of stuck around has always been the ethos and pretty much and the sort of like um the ethics involved with Mm -hmm. um you know maintaining music as this like incredibly sacred like um you know untainted like thing that uh 
there's 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 always going to be this community that values artistry and just kind of being a good person over making money and over yeah. like which is know, admirable it know? is and and i think that's that's why it's always meant to stick around in some format yeah i would say so i mean the funny thing is is you know diy stuff it's been around for a while you know there have been a bunch of artists that have been in the rock sphere or not that have made their own labels because they were unsatisfied with how the music industry was treating them like bands like the Isley Brothers made their own label and then started releasing stuff you know in their name you know yeah. there there have been instances in history but the the emergence of the DIY movement started in punk rock and in hardcore and now just sort of encompasses everything like yeah. you can you can DIY is essentially it's not really a sound anymore like it right. can be a quality of sound but not even really yeah, like, that's what like it's funny that we use the term indie rock or you know indie music mm-hmm. to 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 talk about a style of music when like all that term means is it's independent. independent yeah. But when did that start? I from what I can tell it started in like the early 2000s when, I would say. When like softer music started to take on these DIY ethics mm-hmm. and start to I I probably with like sort of the rise of nirvana and the grunge movement it mm-hmm. feels like that sort of turned into independent you know like yeah. bands just doing what they want taking this ethos from punk and hardcore and, and putting it towards like you know a lo- maybe a little more accessible music yeah um i feel like the rise of independent online music journalism helped sort of define indie music because totally. uh around the mid 2000s you would see a whole bunch of sites like legitimate online magazines you know which was new at the time considering the internet was just starting to become like this massively popular thing right like and it started to to gain its foothold on american culture um they became like legitimate tastemakers you know and i think that's where it started you know and the sound like a lot of these bands that they would toot in the mid 2000s like the shins and whatnot would get attention from these magazines and it wasn't necessarily uh, a homogenous sound it was just whatever they were promoting and i think that's where it came from you know so maybe we can indie music you can strive to to have an indie sound based on the bands that were popular when indie music was the type of thing yeah but it is sort of paradoxical because indie really just means that you're doing it yourself right like what does that term mean any more than what does classic rock mean like what's Exactly. What's, what's classic, classic rock is old rock. It. Yeah. yeah there's and like there's different echelons now. Sure. And yeah, and that's what sort of indie music has turned into. And, that's true. And in, in a way that yeah, it started as it started more as a um as a movement within, you know, music scenes. Yeah. And turned into a style. Right. And then we've cemented that. We've taken a picture of snapshot of that. And been like, oh, that's what indie music is, because that's when <laughs> that's what yeah, it, that's pretty much what it sounded like yeah. when indie started. <laughs> you get um, online the genre, they're like, what do you sound like? We sound like indie. Yeah, and okay. Well, I mean, with what with like, you know, more and more music, sort of being born that way and through DIY. Like, yeah. Now DIY is is flooding in this with with bands, you know, which is a great thing. It just means now that people are having a harder and harder time trying to describe something. Pretty much. And still put it under this indie umbrella because it yeah. is DIY. Yeah. You know? What? what do you think is the crucial difference between indie and DIY? Like, 
it's got to be the fact that indie used to be you just put your music on an independent label and even if you got other people to work for you like it would still be done outside of the scope of the major labels but then right. DIY is just you literally just do it all yourself like you haul your own equipment you know like or you get people well like, I think I think that idea that do it yourself I think that has also lost its meaning in in the sense in that, a like, sense yeah to me DIY more talks about a community that's also true and so it's more of a do it ourselves thing and yeah. I've, I've heard that phrase a lot like mm-hmm. Yeah, people say do it ourselves. Like, this is a team effort. Yeah. We're sort of trying to protect this community that we have and yeah. nurture it and put our time and effort into it. And, like, you know, that's of course true. we want to see some, like, monetary success out of it because yeah. that helps things survive. Anyone would want to. Yeah, but the whole idea being that, you know, um, it, it takes the members of the community, you know, putting in the, the the work and the effort for for nothing but the success of of the people around them pretty much yeah which is it is strangely utopian in kind of a positive way like <laughs> yeah and i never really thought about that like it really is like do it ourselves like a community yeah I, so many cities have different scenes and now the internet is around and social media is a thing there are places where people can connect right like across cities like if people want to do like a short do it do it yourself tour Right, like, absolutely. You can I mean, contact people. There's networks that you can tap into. DIY like, touring is totally based on um, just that sort yeah. of integrity. Just That's like, true. just kind of like, you just kind of put a lot of trust in your in like strangers that you know, they hit you up. You have a few mutual friends. They seem nice. Oh, sure, I'll book your show. Yeah. Even though maybe no one will come. Like that's it's it's sort of a give and take. That's true. Um, and people take risks and stuff just so that, you know, yeah. you can say, yeah, our city is a good city to come to. Like, we want our scene to thrive, so keep coming here and we'll keep trying to get people to go to shows. That's true. You know, that is one of the things I feel like I can't tell whether or not it has differed much or stayed the same from how it used to be, you know? Because when you wanted to book your own DIY tour, I have to imagine back in the mid-80s it was a lot harder. <laughs> yeah, it you was You had to like do cold mailing. calls and, yeah, <laughs> mailing and cold calls and flyers and, and, and you know, getting the word out somehow, you right. know, like, yeah. I can't imagine how hard it must have been if you were a new band, like, that had no support system to just sort of, like, totally. want to do a tour. I mean, know? yeah, wasn't, wasn't, like, in that book, don't they talk about Black Flag a little bit and how mm-hmm. they, like, how they found these tours and, and just, like, yeah. book things on the road and would go out for months and months and Pretty just much. keep booking? Well, essentially, they started, before they started doing tours... They started doing sh- shows in LA back just before hardcore started breaking when mm-hmm. Black Flag was playing. And the reason why they started touring the country was because they couldn't play any more shows in LA <laughs> because the police had banned them from playing shows. Wow. Yeah. Like they just would get into fights <laughs> and I think it was either before or after Henry Rollins joined the band because he wasn't the first singer. Right. But I think it was around when he joined that they started getting really really vicious. Yikes. And then the police, it, you have to remember too, Orange County was very conservative back then. Sure. Like, and they just had, there was this famous instance, it was in the early 70s, I believe, where there was like a park in Orange County where they would hold uh, music festivals, like small music festivals. And the booker for the event invited black flag to come on but he had no idea what they sounded like (laughs) and then so this and it was a children's uh 
music oh, events. Yikes. So they were they were on stage playing their music in front of all these like six and seven year olds, and then that was the moment where the police and the general citizens started to take note of Black Flag and like launch a when, crusade against them. That was when yeah. punk rock was born. Essentially, well, <laughs> that's going back a little bit. That's when hardcore was born. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Punk, punk yeah. rock's a whole different story. Um, so that's changed about DIY music. I think another crucial difference is that if you were a band in the mid 80s and you were underground and you didn't belong to a label and you didn't want to belong to a major label, the really the only way to get your music out there was to find a label that aligned with your sound and your values or you just made your own label and happened to raise enough money to release like a few hundred copies or a few thousand copies. And that was if you had like loans or found some way to scratch up the money, you know, somewhere. Right. Um, the big change nowadays is that you anybody can release music anywhere and they can do it for free and they can do it if they have any internet source, you know? Yeah. Like... You can just release your music on SoundCloud. A bunch of rappers and hip-hop artists and instrumental hip-hop artists and beat makers uh, will just use SoundCloud or Bandcamp or any any big streaming service to just release their own music, and they can just do it at the drop of a hat, you know? Yeah. I feel like the process has streamlined a lot, you know? Totally. I mean, you're no longer required to make a physical format of your thing for people to listen to it, and it's kind of... I mean, to me, it seems like as there have been more and more bands, it's easier and easier to share your music as a band and as a fan to find music. That's true. It just has grown with the audience size. So it's just like, exactly. while it is easier, there's, there's just like so much more music That's out true. there. That's true, yeah. You know, you can't just go to a record store and like mm-hmm. have pretty limited options and just, it's like, it's, it's unlimited. Mm-hmm. It's, it's endless. Right? Like, as a side note, I would say that... One of the biggest evolutions, I would say, is that the music you listen to doesn't define you anymore like it used to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, back in the, the, the 80s, 90s, I would, I would arguably say all the way to the early 2000s, uh, the kind of stuff that you listened to was a part of your personality, especially if you were growing up, you know? Yeah. Like, if you were a stoner, you listened to stoner metal <laughs> or, or folk or whatever, you know? Yeah. If you were a goth, you were listening to a specific type of music. You know, I think that comes with age too, though. Like, kind of this, like I, I feel like kids will always, you know, find ways to, uh, to judge each other based oh, on. Oh, absolutely. Interests. I don't know and if so it's... A, a lot of those things came from like you know us being kids and just being like. That's true. This is I have to subscribe to something or else I won't fit in. But That's now true. I feel like people are way you know just as adults you uh-huh. you become more accepting of like yeah oh like it's not. It's not stupid to listen to something that like I don't like. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I just cuz someone listens to something I I personally hate, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't mean anything. Like yeah. you're still a valid person and like worthy of your time, you know. Yeah, right? It's almost as if music has matured past that. Cuz I don't think yeah. kids don't really that kids can listen to anything now and they aren't really chastised for it like they were back then. I wonder what kids do now. That sort of group them together. Is it the, the YouTubes, YouTubers they watch? Oh <laughs> yeah. my God, the YouTubes. Oh, the YouTubes. It's <laughs> like an old man. Um, it's got to be something, right? Well, I mean, they can... they, like, I would imagine a lot of like younger folks. <laughs> like an old man. <laughs> oh my God, we're like in their mid twenties. <laughs> I'm imagining a lot of high schoolers use like Spotify and stuff. So I'm just imagining how that platform can sort of like shape and format someone's music taste it's possible yeah you know, you know? Like, but it is all mixed up i guess the the more 
insular, introverted kids would find older music and not be as as hip to the musics of today, you know? And then yeah, they I might, mean, but... I, from what... From, like, my experience, like, touring around with, like, bands that, you know, I was into in high school and college and then now are, you know, doing their thing still, it's pretty bizarre how, like, you'll find a lot of the same age group still listening right. to that kind of music. Like, we did this tour with the Front Bottoms and, you know, they were a thousand to fourteen hundred cap venues packed with people mostly under the age of 18 really yeah 100 percent. and and wait how long have the front i'm not aware of the front bottoms how so long have they been a band they've been around probably since like uh the late aughts okay or, or uh, early the <laughs> early i call them the aughts yeah i don't know yeah probably yeah probably like t- 2010 through 2012 they started and um yeah i got into them a lot when i was in college and then kind of lost touch with them Okay. Sort of as like a band I liked. Okay. Um, but but yeah, I mean they they're 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 incredibly like youthful and like. Did they do music- pop punk? It's it's pop. Punk. I have heard yeah. of them. Cody it's... played them in the store like nice. a few months ago. Okay, so I have heard them. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty interesting to see that like it it seems like a lot of kids now like the or teens you know uh, still care about like this sort of you know semi underground scene like to them these bands are pretty unknown because to them like you know up until this point they've kind of only been stuck in the mainstream you know as as kids are like until you're at a certain age where you start to discover other things like it's all just like you know Mm -hmm. pop stars and like yeah essentially and and then you discover this other sort of like this you start to go further down yeah and you keep reaching down and down until you find like the DIY community. Yeah, know, essentially. That makes sense, you know. I will say, uh, I guess it is still continuing on. Like, kids are finding these underground bands. You yeah. know, I, I went to a Dream Decay show, oh, God, like a year ago, um, and it was down at the uh, Pizza Palace. That okay, house yeah. venue, yeah. And uh, pretty much, I felt like one of the oldest people in the audience. <laughs> like, yeah. most of the kids looked like they had just gone to prom. Wow. Like, and they were like awesome. 17, 18 year old, like, and they were just ripping the house down. Like, <laughs> yeah, so it is still a thing, which is yeah. cool. I guess it's just not, they're not, they don't define themselves as much by it. They just like listening to cool music. Sure. You know? yeah. It's a fantastic trend for music in particular. I feel like yeah. that act of defining yourself via the culture that you experience, you know, uh, sticks still sticks around, but I just don't think music's a part of it. Yeah, as much as yeah. it used to be. Yeah, you know, Fair enough. Which is which is great, I think. Yeah, know? no, I mean, people sort of branching out and being eclectic in their taste can only be good. Yeah, you, know? you can only hope that the kids that are listening to the stuff now want to make their own bands, you know? Right. If anything, for just yeah. the cool factor, you know, <laughs> the cool factor. I mean, that's why we all started bands, <laughs> that's right? Essentially. That's essentially. That was it yeah. to begin with, and then we were like, oh, crap, <laughs> like, I have to do this. Yeah. I'm compelled to do this mm-hmm. now. Well, here's the funny thing, though. Um... There was a huge, I don't want to say it was huge, but there was an apparent schism, back then at least, between this workmanlike DIY ethos and the kids from the art school. And I'm, I'm using air quotes here. You know, like, <laughs> pe- kids, and this would be people that went to art school specifically to study art and, like, work in an art medium. And I think the bias against these particular people were that 
well, they had the money to pay for art school. It's not like they need to make any money on this music. You know, they they're just doing it for art's sake. You know, right? Which I feel like had its place in like DIY the styles of DIY back then. Like back in the mid '80s, a lot of DIY was hardcore punk, very workmanlike genres. Yeah. You know, that yeah flirted with like noise and in certain melodic instances in the ways that bands like Husker Du and Sonic Youth would proliferate and and pioneer during that era yeah but you know a lot of that music was a response of bands like talking heads you know bands that made great music but were also based firmly in art yeah wanting to make you know music for some higher purpose totally you know yeah Yeah. so yeah so i i mean like yeah i i i definitely feel like uh DIY is a marriage of those things. You know? Yeah. Like, Nowadays, I would say. Yeah. You can absolutely make art in a DIY fashion. In fact, a lot of people do nowadays. Like, I feel like a lot of people that make music by themselves, you know. And there is sort of a difference between music that you do yourself and DIY music. Sure. You know? Yeah. Like, a lot of music that people want to make, sometimes they'll make for any number of reasons, you know, they right. want to express themselves or they want to search this thing we call art or they want to tour and get fans, you know, like there's right. a whole different bunch of reasons. Um, yeah, you see plenty of bands or like artists, you know, with like prolific catalogs that almost like it never felt like they wanted to even show it to the world. And right. And people catch on to it and they're like, whoa, 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 like this is awesome what you're doing. Yeah. Like, like Alex G, I think would be an example. Yeah. Like he, you know, put out probably like 10 records before anyone noticed really. And that's right. He was involved in like the Philly scene and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, this sort of like, um, enigmatic, like, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah just like mystery of a person that, yeah you know just that, like did things for art that like their own for just for their own sake and that's like, totally valid now oh absolutely you know I that's mean, it, that's another way it's advanced i would yeah. say yeah like you can just make all all the music you want doesn't matter you can just if you have some way of procuring relatively decent recording equipment like yeah. and that could be anything like hell you can record on your phone nowadays totally, like yeah uh I have an iPhone 8 and I record on voice memos and, and record sure. guitar through there anyway. There are laugh mics you can buy. You can plug straight into your iPhone mm-hmm. and they're like $25. I don't know if they're that great, but you can do it. <laughs> right. Like the barrier for entry has lowered so low, you know, it's like ever since back then. Pretty there much. There's no barrier. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's the flip side of the coin. The fact that there's so much music coming out nowadays just means it's if if you want to get heard, you got to be loud, and you have to be really right. good at self promotion, at when you're starting at least. Totally. You know, and it's not like it's any different than it was back then. It's just a different kind of self promotion. You right. know, when you were starting out back then, you had to do all the work and let people know, and you you sort of did have to get a little bit of, of luck on your side, like making sure that the right people were at your gigs when you were starting. Sure. And you know, a lot of bands put that work in before they they got famous, and nowadays. Uh, now that social media is a thing and, and people can use it as a tool and do so successfully, like you sort of almost have to be a certain type of person to like want to promote yourself in a way that's just sort of people don't forget about you. Right. You know, like, and this is 
this is technically outside of the DIY community, you know, because if you're in a community, you have that support system, people will know about you. Like, you don't have to be so gung-ho about who you are and where you are. But if you're just starting out, like, you do sort of have to be, like, on social media and be a presence and find a community yourself, you know? So Yeah, if- or at least, like, have just been a pretty cool person with, like, yeah. a lot of friends. Like, I've That's seen a lot of people, thing. like, kind of start music in their 20s and, or, like, finally start to, like, you know, they've been doing it for themselves for so long and finally reach out and are like, I'm going to release something. Yeah, like, that was me. And have, right, and having the support system around you, just of people that are like, oh, you're a great person, I want to support this. Like, yeah. I think that's, there's a lot to be said for that method, too. It really does weed out the shitty people, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the other thing. Back, if you were on a label, you didn't have to be nice. The label nope. did all of your work for you. And yeah. you could just you could just be an asshole if you wanted to. I, and... I really agree with, like, some of those ethics in DIY right now, where it's kind of just, like, survival of the nicest that's like true. you just have to be a good person essentially and you have to be you have to be like courteous and exactly that's like that's what diy means to me now is yeah. sort of this unwritten rule well no i mean it is pretty written but like <laughs> it's just this rule that yeah like anyone who isn't like adhering to these sort of guidelines that we have as a community can get out like we want we're not cool with it yeah exactly yeah and that's the thing now the interesting thing about the seattle scene that i've always enjoyed tracking like looking at different things in history is how it's a tight-knit community you Mm -hmm. know like everyone sort of knows each other and like and that that can be said about a lot of of music scenes across america you know but The Seattle scene in particular is one of those things where if somebody does something or, like, if something gets out about, like, something that they did that might have been controversial or reprehensible, like, it gets out quick and people act fast. Right. Like, that's sort of been the case since the late 80s, I'd say, in this scene, you know, pre-grunge and whatnot. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, things have definitely gotten, like, things weren't, you know, great in the 80s as far as, like, social justice goes. But, uh, But also... Especially in Olympia. Like, Olympia was sort of a... Uh, it, it still is now. Like, that tradition is carried forward. But Olympia always sort of has been, like, this beacon of uh, radical ethos. Yeah. Like, you know, um, feminism was a huge thing in Olympia. It still is, you know. Gay rights were huge in Olympia. They still are. Right. You know? And that, that spirit has been there for so long, like... There are so many bands and so many labels that were created in that image and through that ethos yeah, that yeah. It, it has built itself uh, like a, a history, a legacy, yeah. yeah, that still sort of continues to this day, you know. And I think it's rubbed off on Seattle a lot. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, I can, I can definitely, I can get on that train. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's funny how Olympia's changed a lot. Like, it feels like Seattle kind of, like, almost absorbed that part of the sort yeah, of the music scene. That's true. Or that, that ethos. and. I, uh, it seems like you know there's not as many like labels and stuff mm-hmm. starting in Olympia, not as many venues. And, yeah, um, it's just it is what it is. You know, you know. Yeah, I think I think it goes. It's like a definite ebb and flow. Like yeah. Tacoma used to be. I kind of grew up in the Tacoma scene, Tacoma, Washington, uh, and that was like adjacent to my hometown. And um, so I sort of grew up in the in the punk hardcore like realm when I was in high school. Uh, I like played in metal bands and sort of like ha- was like how do I find shows and and then kind of got like turned on to this you know 
punk hardcore scene, then I was like, ah, close enough. Like, the metal bands play there, you know? And then sort of really started to understand the ethics behind it all, and it, like, made so much sense to me, and that's that's kind of how I got involved in music yeah. to start. was, like... But that was, yeah, it's huge in Tacoma for, you know, mm-hmm. a number of years. Like, hardcore had a huge... Um, home in Tacoma and touring bands would always come through there and um yeah lately that's definitely not been the case yeah so but it's <laughs> interesting say. how things go like you know you wonder where it might pop up next yeah some, some subculture in you know in in the suburbs of Washington yeah it's pretty cool who knows you know who friggin knows yeah um so there's one more thing I want to talk about and that's so we we're talking about how self-promotion is, has changed. It's sort of, the, the effort has stayed the same, but the method has changed where now you sort of have to self-promote and, and be on and have people know about you. Like, how do you think that has changed how certain musicians, like, attack the business of making music? You know, like, because I feel like some musicians who maybe play music specifically because they have to express something that's not a language, you know, would struggle perhaps in this new medium, you know, people who get self-conscious, for example, you know, I feel like introspection and musicianship sometimes go hand in hand, sometimes, (laughs) you know. No, they they definitely can. Yeah. I I think, I mean, I see a lot of peers and friends uh, struggle with that, Mm -hmm. like that sort of butting heads of these two things where you almost have to be out, you know, going to shows and being social Mm -hmm. and and showing face in order to get opportunities and, and, and like, you know, you have to be a part of the community to to benefit from the community. You know what I mean? Pretty much. And so, in some ways, I think it's really healthy for all of us introverted, you know, people to have to put ourselves out there every now and then. Um, especially knowing, right? Yeah, I mean, you gotta watch your, you know, your mental health carefully. But um, especially when it's kind of unknown that we're all this way. And <laughs> like, that's kind of the beauty of it is that we're all like struggling through this, um, this, this weird world that we live in of how do we release music and promote ourselves while still, you know, trying not to be annoying, trying to be good people. It's hard. It's like, it's just this back and forth of constantly being like, am I, am I like bugging the entire world with what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. But then also being like, no, wait, this is, this is all I do. This is, this is my thing. Like, of course I'm going to put it, you know, all this effort into, into showing it to the world and, and getting out there. So, yeah, that's such an important sentiment. You know, we were talking earlier about, um, how it is this sort of this back and forth about you have to work hard sort of constantly. Now that there, there is this factor of social media, it's really easy to get stressed about keeping yourself forward and having new ideas and, and, and living a life that's worth, being on social media for yeah. you know but then also on the surface having this sort of like not lackadaisical attitude but like sort of well we don't care too much about this you know because that's yeah. not cool right you know that's uh, an attitude that dates all the way back to like pavement oh you know? sure yeah. yeah there's there's an amount of like nonchalantness that you know attributing to your music um for whatever reason feels like necessary or that like um I think it's I think it's for the fear of others sort of seeing your work as mediocre, right? Like you don't want to put 
everything you have behind this thing sort of and, and, and be vulnerable and say like this is the best thing I've ever made Yeah. but then have someone be like oh, that's the best thing you've ever made <laughs> you know what I mean uh, I think that's a huge fear because yeah it's it. I like I will say with pure honesty that like I've thought that about see, I've seen other music and been like no I, I honestly think you could do better than that mm-hmm. like keep keep doing it exactly and so so part of me does think like there is this um there is this necessity to like if if you don't sort of succeed with with a release or a record or a song or whatever it is like just keep throwing shit out there like yeah. that that's sort of my ethos with it all is is you know I may not hit the mark you know mm-hmm. on everything I do but I did it and I learned from it and the best thing you can do is just like don't stop mm-hmm. throwing things into the void yep because sooner or later someone's gonna appreciate something you did and that's yeah. kind of the whole point exactly it does take like a level of thin of thick skin to do it because a lot yeah. of people who get into the business of making music I use business loosely here sure like we'll we'll say oh you know I've got thick skin like I can take it but then once they figure out how relatively how hard it is to put all these to write these songs and and get everyone together to do shows and collaborate and research and and practice and yep. and and record and put it out like you you have personal stakes in it and then it gets harder and harder to actually listen to what people are saying you yeah know? totally you i mean you you are required to to spend all this time and energy on on it because like you have to tell yourself this matters and it, and i care about it and right. it's and it's good it's worth working on yeah but yeah like at the end of the day it could be trash to someone and <laughs> like pretty much you know the, all you can really do is is uh it's just keep doing it, and yeah. no matter what, like it'll, you know, you'll learn. It's it, exactly. It's all a learning process. Um, I think sometimes I'm afraid to give criticism to to people that ask for it, like mm-hmm. especially in the local community. Like when I'm friends with people, and like they play me their stuff and I'm sort of aware of what they've gone through to get to that process and I don't want to be the person to say like well you could do this you know like because also again it's that tight knit like I don't want to appear like an asshole you know like even though constructive criticism is super important I don't know how that person is going to take it you know like and I don't want to I just don't want to be that person you know but that's (laughs) important to like be able to give honest feedback and because because that's respecting the other person, you know. Totally. Like if, if the the goal is for them to get better, right. if if they're doing something that's not you know up to snuff. Yeah. You know, well, I think that that can sort of, you know, that's an opportunity for like in a loose sense collaboration, right? Like mm-hmm. I feel like if I'm ever given that opportunity to give feedback, um, rather than state a problem, like find a like find the solution, right? You know, like. Um, whatever like the snare is too loud you know just like stuff that's like okay that's 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 fixable you yeah know? but if it's something where i'm like i don't like the this music. is this is just a, i don't like the music you make and there's nothing wrong with that like, yeah there's totally nothing wrong with you know and not it, everyone's gonna dig everything especially in that community that's yeah. what's kind of beautiful about it is that's that true. Like, not everything's gonna be for everyone 
But we're all still supporting each other regardless because that's true. We care, you know. I think that's the biggest roadblock for musicians that maybe want to start getting into a community is that they sort of have to understand, and that can be from people who are in the community who just sort of want to sit them down and be like, "Okay, listen, we're gonna be here for you," like an intervention. <laughs> just like you get them all in a room and there's just a bunch of people. They sit down. And you're like, "What's going on?" And you're like, "Take a seat. We love you." Listen. Yeah. But we just don't. <laughs> this is your this, music sucks. Yeah, it's not working, <laughs> and it's not because we still like you for it. Like you could do your thing; someone will like it. But I feel like, honestly, though, like there are times where I have experienced that and just wanted to be like, I don't like your music, and but right. not come off as like someone who just. Like, and I don't think there's a way. I don't think there's a way to do that without, you know, like that's that's you know how hard that is to hear as mm-hmm. a musician. It's the so it's honestly thing. like, yeah, it's like, oh man, I, I would much rather, you know, like f- find the one thing you do like about it yeah. and talk about that. Because you know mm-hmm. that like, as long as they keep doing it, like mm-hmm. I feel like every musician will will like get to a place where they're, they're creating stuff that is more accessible or That's like, true. I don't know. Um, I'm gonna try that the next time. <laughs> the next time a friend yeah. of mine shows me their music and I'm not, you know, I don't have that great of an opinion about it. I will like try to let them down easy through there. I'm just gonna be like, compliment the snare sound. That's my <laughs> go-to. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, the snare was fine, but you know. <laughs> no, now everyone that is, listens to this podcast is gonna know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your Essentially, secret. oh, I'll update. I'm gonna send you the apples with Moya record. And oh my like, god. Oh, the snare sound. <laughs> The next podcast. Well, I've been listening to that new Apples and Moya and... Love the snare. Oh, yeah. Snare was great. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's all the time that we have. I think this has been a great conversation. Dylan, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thanks for having me, Rob. Yeah, this is great. Um, Tune in next week uh, when my next guest will be uh, Monkey. Awesome. Uh, Juggling uh, three bananas. (laughs) You won't be able to see it though, because it's just audio. So you'll hear it though. Yeah, you'll hear it. And you can hear, <laughs> hear with your ears, see with your ears, hear with your eyes. Uh, be kind. Uh, <laughs> right. We'll figure it out after this. Thank you for listening to the tape deck. Uh, Till next time. Bye.